Welcome to the Underclass Podcast with Austin Picard. I'm an independent researcher who can't stomach being lied to on a daily basis by the mainstream media. While we live in a fracturing society, launched into parallel realities, falling perfectly onto the two sides of the political spectrum, I remain in the underclass. This week's episode is a departure from the average conversation as we question the orthodoxy of a New Age religion and step out onto the ledge of pure speculation, exploring the wild theories undeniably interwoven in the public consciousness. It's time to have a bit of fun, exploring the profound circumstantial evidence pointing to a potential fake alien invasion and the fulfilling of a manufactured crisis paired seamlessly with sophisticated socially engineered prophecy. In pointing out the interlocking presence of secret government programs and deceptive predictive programming techniques running perfectly in parallel with the government-sponsored disclosure project, how can we remain so naive to the enhanced four-dimensional methods deployed by our controlling elites? Let's first set the stage, tracing back the popularization of the concept of UFOs in the modern era, the defining event when the idea of an alien invasion was basically introduced into the public consciousness as Orson Welles directed and narrated an adaptation of the H.G. Wells novel, The War of the Worlds, broadcast live at 8 o'clock Eastern Time on October 30, 1938, over the CBS radio network. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the latest bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. Toronto, Canada. Professor Morris of Macmillan University reports observing a total of three explosions on the planet Mars between the hours of 7.45 p.m. and 9.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This confirms earlier reports received from American observatories. Now nearer home comes a special bulletin from Trenton, New Jersey. It is reported that at 8.50 p.m. a huge flaming object believed to be a meteorite, fell on a farm in the neighborhood of Grover's Mill, New Jersey, 22 miles from Trenton. The flash in the sky was visible within a radius of several hundred miles, and the noise of the impact was heard as far north as Elizabeth. Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. Never before had a radio broadcast provoked such outrage or such chaos. Upwards of a million people convinced, if only briefly, that the United States was being laid waste by alien invaders, and a nation left to wonder how they possibly could have been so gullible. By quarter past eight Eastern time, telephones were ringing madly all across the country as concerned Americans tried to determine the whereabouts of relatives, warn friends and acquaintances, and most of all, corroborate what they were hearing. A what? Wait a minute. For the next several hours, newspapers, radio stations, and police precincts from coast to coast would be swamped with calls. Well, I can't help that, ma'am. We just don't know anything about it. Brother, did I say something about a quiet Sunday evening? What's going on? Soon, strange bulletins began coming in over the press service wires. In Bergenfield, New Jersey, just north of Grover's Mill, some 20 families turned up at a police station with all of their household possessions piled into their cars. In Indianapolis, a woman rushed to the pulpit in a Methodist church, shouting that the end of the world had come. And in Washington state, a spectacularly ill-timed power failure plunged the small town of concrete into darkness and sent terrified residents fleeing into the mountains. The battle which took place tonight at Grover Mills has ended in one of the most startling defeats ever suffered by an army in modern times. 7,000 men armed with rifles and machine guns hit it against the single fighting machine of the invaders from Mars. 120 known survivors. Here is a special bullet in New York. Well, my wife, she came in, my wife, just wringing her hands and, and wailing away, her eyeballs about to pop out onto her lap, going, what is it, what is it, what could it be? Is it the Germans? Well, she hadn't heard the word Martians. But I had. There's a brief statement informing us that the charred body of Carl Phillips has been identified in the Trenton Hospital. Now here's another bulletin. From we Washington. think that we're really smart, but 
if there's a cue out there that could possibly be dangerous, we're going to react to it protectively, autonomically, instinctively. Fear first, and reason and facts second. The widespread public panic was closely analyzed and addressed pointedly by Professor James Tracy in an article with the title, Early Psychological Warfare Research in the Rockefeller Foundation, where he claims that Nelson Rockefeller funded a project at Princeton University with friend, psychologist, and college roommate Hadley Cantrell. According to the article, the Rockefeller Foundation directly financed a grant for a two-year charter of the Princeton Radio Project. There, Cantrell proceeded to develop studies assessing radio's effects on audiences. In 1938, Cantrell also became a founding editor of the Rockefeller Foundation-funded Public Opinion Quarterly, an organ closely associated with U.S. government's psychological warfare endeavors following World War II. Over the next several months after the broadcast, interviews with War of the Worlds listeners were collected and subsequently analyzed in Cantrell's 1939 study, The Invasion from Mars, a study in the psychology of panic. Pointing to the death of basic information on its formation and operation, the Foundation thereafter developed an even more concerted interest in understanding public opinion during wartime. The War in Europe, the Foundation's 1939 report asserted, has given this country an unusual opportunity for studying the development of public opinion, the changes which opinion undergoes under varying conditions, and the reasons for change. Immediately after the explosive end to World War II, the American government covertly trafficked thousands of prominent Nazis and members of the SS into the U.S., placing many in powerful leadership positions at prestigious American institutions. By June 24, 1947, the first official report of a UFO sighting was publicly documented, leading to nationwide coverage resulting in a social phenomena lasting until around July 10th when the mass reports of UFO sightings basically began to subside. It's been dubbed the 1947 Flying Disc Craze, and the original June 24th report has been attributed to a man by the name of Kenneth Albert Arnold, who would later in 1962 win the Republican nomination for lieutenant governor of Idaho, although he lost in the general election. Kenneth Albert Arnold, claimed to have seen a string of nine shiny unidentified flying objects, leading the press to coin the popular descriptive term, flying saucer. The 32-year-old private pilot described his version of the story found at the Seattle Times. It was a beautiful day, just as clear as a bell, Arnold said. He was flying from Chahalas to Yakima and decided to spend an hour or so searching for a downed C-46 Marine transport that had crashed into the southwest side of Mount Rainier. There was a $5,000 reward for finding it. It was at 3 p.m., he remembered, when a very bright flash lit up the plane in the sky around me. At first, Arnold thought it was the sun reflecting off another plane. But the flash happened again, and that's when I saw where it was coming from. It came spasmodically from a chain of nine circular-type aircraft way up from the vicinity of Mount Rainier, said Arnold. I could not find any tails on these things. They didn't leave a jet trail behind them. I judged their size to be at least a hundred feet in widespan. I thought it was a new type of missile. His plane had a big sweep, 24-hour clock on the instrument panel. Arnold measured that the craft covered the distance between Mount Rainier and Mount Adams, in 1 minute 42 seconds. That figured out to something like 1,760 miles an hour, which I could hardly believe. I knew that figure couldn't be entirely accurate, but I'd say it was within a couple of hundred miles accurate, he said. From Yakima, Arnold then flew to an air show in Pendleton, Oregon. The next day, on June 25th, he stopped by the local newspaper, The East Oregonian. He wanted to know if the military had been testing secret warplanes in the area. He ended up talking to reporter Bill Beckett, who in subsequent years remembered that Arnold came off as honest, level-headed, and credible, said a story in the East Oregonian. So Beckett wrote a brief story about what Arnold said he witnessed, but the brief also went out to the Associated Press, got picked up by numerous newspapers, and the furor began. 
For the first time, a mass media story and subsequent headlines used the term flying saucers. Many scholars have referred to this as the birth of a modern myth. And following Arnold's story, hundreds of similar reports flooded in from all over the world. A week later, on July 4th, an additional sighting by a United Airlines crew, Flight 105, spotted nine disc-like objects over Idaho. Four days after the Flight 105 sighting, Roswell Army Airfield issued a press release stating that they had recovered a flying disc. After quickly retracting the release, the Army stated that the crashed object was actually just a conventional weather balloon. This would come back into the center of much controversy by 1978, when former nuclear physicist Stanton Friedman was waiting in a Baton Rouge, Louisiana TV station for an interview when he was tipped off about a retired Air Force colonel living nearby who had once handled the wreckage of a UFO. He proceeded to interview retired Lieutenant Colonel Jesse Marcel, who helped administer Operation Crossroads, the 1946 atom bomb test at the Bikini Atoll. During the interview, Marcel would reveal that the weather balloon had been a cover story to divert public attention. Based on this, Marcel began to speculate that the debris might have been extraterrestrial in origin. Widespread theories triggered an internal investigation by the United States Air Force, who would publish a report in 1994 concluding that the crashed object was a top-secret nuclear test surveillance balloon from something called Project Mogul. Historian Catherine Olmsted describes these initial events as occurring at the beginning of the atomic age, during the first summer of the Cold War, when the United States' top-secret Project Mogul had launched thousands of balloons carrying devices to listen for Soviet atomic tests. Marcel's story would later be corroborated by Brigadier General Thomas Dubose, who would also claim that the weather balloon was a cover story. However, more controversy would appear in regard to the allegation of alien bodies being found among the wreckage, which was claimed in a book published in 1980 called The Roswell Incident. Both Marcel and Dubose consistently denied the existence of bodies in all of their statements. This book would also provide the origin point of the unsubstantiated theory that an extraterrestrial craft was flying over the New Mexico desert to observe nuclear weapons activity when a lightning strike killed the alien crew, and that after discovering the crash, the U.S. government engaged in a cover-up. Although historian Catherine Olmsted would argue, when one of these top-secret Project Mogul surveillance balloons smashed into the sands of the New Mexico ranch, the military decided to hide the project's real purpose. According to the 1995 Roswell report, Air Force Declassification Officer Lieutenant James McAndrew concluded, when the civilians and personnel from Roswell AAF stumbled upon the highly classified project and collected the debris, no one at Roswell had a need to know about information concerning Mogul. This fact, along with the initial misidentification and subsequent rumors that the capture of a flying disc occurred, ultimately left many people with unanswered questions that have endured to this day. Project Sign, or Project Saucer, was the first official U.S. government study of unidentified flying objects established the very same year as the flying disc craze in 1947 and headquartered at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base just east of Dayton, Ohio. It was the precursor to Project Grudge in 1948, which was a short-lived project by the U.S. Air Force to investigate UFOs, formally ending in December of 1949 but reportedly continued in a minimal capacity until late 1999. Project Blue Book has become the most recognized code name for the systematic study of UFOs, being established by March 1952 with two stated goals, namely to determine if UFOs were a threat to national security and to scientifically analyze UFO-related data. A Colorado UFO project group funded by the United States Air Force at the University of Colorado from 1966 to 1968, resulted in what is called the Condon Report, which was an official collection of carefully analyzed UFO reports subsequently leading to a, re a review by the National Academy of Sciences. By 1969, 
Project Blue Book was terminated, and the Air Force provided a brief summary of its investigations. 1. No UFO reported, investigated, and evaluated by the Air Force was ever an indication of threat to our national security. 2. There was no evidence submitted to or discovered by the Air Force that sightings categorized as unidentified represented technological developments or principles beyond the range of modern scientific knowledge. And three, there was no evidence indicating that sightings categorized as unidentified were extraterrestrial vehicles. According to the National Reconnaissance Office Review, by the time Project Blue Book ended, it had collected 12,618 UFO reports and concluded that most of them were misidentifications of natural phenomena or conventional aircraft. Within a year after the establishment of Project Blue Book in 1953, an internal CIA memo that has since been declassified exposes the assistant director of the CIA's Office of Scientific Intelligence, Marshall Chadwell, corresponding with the director of Central Intelligence, Walter Bettel Smith, in which Chadwell states, The question therefore arises as to whether or not these sightings, one, could be controlled, two, could be predicted, and three, could be used from a psychological warfare point of view, either offensively or defensively. Utilization could be made of these phenomena by United States psychological warfare planners, and what, if any, defenses should be planned in anticipation of Soviet attempts to utilize them. By 1955, the U.S. Air Force and CIA acquired the site in Lincoln County, Nevada, that would become the location for Area 51, which is now reportedly grown into a rectangular area called the Groom Box, measuring 23 by 25 miles of restricted airspace connected to the internal Nevada test site. NASA was established by law on July 29, 1958, and by July 1, 1960, Warner von Braun would become the center's first director, holding the position until January 27, 1970. Von Braun is widely considered as the father of modern rocketry, or the father of space travel, and has been exposed as one of the Nazis brought over during Operation Paperclip with evidence proving he was even a member of Hitler's elite organization known as the SS. Multiple survivors of the Holocaust have identified von Braun as directly ordering the floggings of slave laborers who attempted an act of sabotage while being forced to work in the rocket program at the Middle Baudora concentration camp, where 20,000 were reported to have died from illness, beatings, hangings, and intolerable working conditions. A French prisoner even claimed that von Braun stood by as prisoners were hanged by chains suspended by cranes. Warner von Braun would die in 1977 after losing a long battle with kidney cancer, but not before supposedly giving his deathbed confession to a woman by the name of Dr. Carol Rosen, who served as the very first female executive of an aerospace company working as a corporate manager of Fairchild Industries. Dr. Carol Rosen is a spook who founded the Institute for Security and Cooperation in Outer Space, and in her time at Fairchild, she served as the spokesperson for Dr. Warner von Braun. She would later join the Disclosure Project, which was founded in 1993 by Stephen Greer, with the stated goal to publicly disclose the government's alleged knowledge of UFOs, extraterrestrial intelligence, and advanced energy and propulsion systems. Greer describes the Disclosure Project as an effort to grant amnesty to government whistleblowers willing to violate their security oaths by sharing classified information about UFOs. However, the source of the project's funding would raise many eyebrows providing another connection to the Rockefeller Foundation, causing a flashback to the psychological study into the War of the Worlds phenomena. According to the April 29, 2013 Citizens Hearing on Disclosure, Antonio Huneas claimed that Lawrence Rockefeller backed many UFO-related projects in the period between the late 80s and 2000, but for the purposes of this hearing we will concentrate on his political initiatives in these areas. Lawrence Rockefeller's first forays into UFOlogy 
started sometime in the late 80s through Dr. Cecil B. Scott Jones, a parapsychologist and former U.S. Navy commander who had worked as naval attaché in Asia and at the Naval Scientific and Technical Intelligence Center. Between 1985 and 1991, Jones was special assistant to Senator Claiborne Pell, the powerful, powerful Rhode Island Democrat chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, who was deeply interested in parapsychology and who many of you met personally. Senator Pell was also friends with Lawrence Rockefeller and both served on the board of the Human Potential Foundation, a small think tank launched in 1989 in Vienna, Virginia, by Jones to conduct research into all conditions of humankind, physiological, psychological, and spiritual. Many of the papers released by the White House's OSTP come from Scott Jones, who knew Dr. John Gibbons, a physicist who worked for many years as director of the Office of Technology Assessment for the U.S. Congress and was appointed in 1993 by the Clinton administration to direct the OSTP. What was the exact turning point of Lawrence Rockefeller's evolution from a general interest in consciousness studies into the specific area of UFOs and extraterrestrial intelligence is still unclear. But the end of the Cold War and the arrival in Washington of a younger generation represented by Bill and Hillary Clinton are key factors. He felt the time was ripe for a new and fresh approach into an area that had been previously dominated by a Cold War mentality. Rockefeller recruited for this effort a longtime associate, Henry L. Diamond an environmental attorney from Washington, D.C., whose links to the family went all the way back to the 1960s when he worked with Lawrence in his conservation activities. Diamond also knew John Gibbons, and so he was the right person to make the first contact with the OSTP chief when he sent a memorandum on March 29, 1993, requesting a meeting, and I'm quoting now the first paragraph. Lawrence S. Rockefeller, who is a leading U.S. conservationist, businessman, and philanthropist, is anxious to have a brief meeting with Dr. Gibbons to discuss the potential availability of government information about unidentified flying objects and extraterrestrial life. As one who has had a long-time interest in environmental and spiritual issues, Mr. Rockefeller, with other leading citizens, is planning to make an approach to President Clinton on this subject. According to an article with the title, Why are the Rockefellers and the Jesuits guiding the UFO disclosure movement? The author claims, The Rockefeller role in getting the disclosure ball rolling is something of an open secret among the disclosure people, the disclosuristas, as I call them. On Stephen Bassett's own Paradigm Research Group website, a specific Rockefeller effort referred to as the Rockefeller Initiative is openly touted. The same effort is also touted on Stephen Greer's Disclosure Project website as Project Starlight. This letter from the Project Starlight Coalition was the result of the historic Asilomar, California meeting that Dr. Greer organized and Lawrence Rockefeller paid for in June of 1995, just before Clinton's meeting with Rockefeller in August 1995. In May 2001, Stephen Greer brought together 20 senior military retired Air Force, Federal Aviation Administration, and intelligence officers at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., presiding over the public debut of the Disclosure Project, and in his words, the launch of the global disclosure movement. One of the biggest bombshells at that 2001 press conference was the testimony of Carol Rosen. Yes, the spook we mentioned earlier, who served as the spokesperson for Warner Von Braun. Good morning, my name is Carol Rosen. In 1974, after being a sixth grade school teacher, I was introduced to the late Dr. Werner Von Braun in the U.S., the father of rocketry. In my first meeting with him during that first three and a half hours, he said to me, Carol, you will stop the weaponization of space. And I said, uh, you know, teachers don't stop until June. He said, no, you have to understand, this is February, and we have to prevent the weaponization of space because there is a lie being told to everyone that the weaponization of space is now first being based upon the evil empire, the Russians. 
There are many enemies, he said, against whom we're going to build the space-based weapon system, the first of whom was the Russians, which was existing at that time. Then there would be terrorists. Then there would be third world countries. Now we call them rogue nations or nations of concern. Then there would be asteroids. And then he would repeat to me over and over, and the last card, the last card, the last card would be the extraterrestrial threat. Well, at the time, I kind of laughed when he said asteroids, and when he said extraterrestrials, I knew I wasn't going to deal with that subject. And now we hear on the news just today, this week, that they've slid in another enemy. Only this time we're going to protect our satellites. In other words, we have to have some reason to spend these trillions to waste these dollars on a space-based weapon system, and they're all lies. This is a system, he told me, that would never protect anyone. Even back then, he talked about suitcase bombs. He talked about chemical, viral, bacterial, bi biological warfare that these space-based weapons would never protect us against. And then he told me that, in fact, if you travel around the world, which I did after he died in 1977, I met with people in over 100 countries who were friends. They didn't want to build space-based weapons. I became a space and missile defense consultant. And I worked with people around the world. I became a, an advisor to the People's Republic of China. They don't want to build a space-based weapon system. And he told me back then that they didn't. He said, go to Russia. They're considered to be the enemy. I got on a plane by myself. When I got to Russia, I had a list of people that I had read out of the newspaper. Chernenko was in office then. He was the only one I didn't get a chance to meet. They introduced me to everyone when I got there. And when I got back, I said, oh, my Lord, this man is telling the truth. There are, is no threat. And I've been waiting until this day for 27 years. And I'm expecting the spin to happen because he also explained to me that in the, as a military strategist, as a person who worked on the MX missile, which I did later, he said, you will find that there is going to be a spin to find some enemy against whom we have to build space-based weapons. And now we should expect the spin because he said part of the formula for the intelligence community is if they might have a weapon, then we have to consider that they do have these weapons. So now they do have these weapons, so now we have to build these weapon systems. And that's the formula, except that it's all based on a lie. And we have witnesses here today that have shown you that these extraterrestrial beings, that these craft that have come here are now not UFOs, they're identified flying objects. And we know that they have beings in them. And we have witnesses here who have told you that they can shut down our missile silos. They can stop a rocket going into space that's a test. We have witnesses here who have worked in the classified departments who have the courage to come forward here to support what Werner von Braun told me back in 1974-77. And I will testify before the Congress that when I founded the Institute for Security and Cooperation in Outer Space, which I shut down a few years ago because I didn't believe we had a chance with this huge, integrated, around-the-world, complex weapon system, that we had any chance at all of transforming that war industry into a space industry that could provide benefits, like Dr. Greer has said, of global warming, we can end that situation of that problem. We can end the energy crisis. We can put, build now non-polluting technologies. Werner von Braun used to tell me that we could have cars back then that w drove around off the ground. He described this to me on beams so that we have no pollution on this planet. And we can solve the problems of the people that are urgent and potential and the other animals and the other cultures on Earth and in space. And we can end the arms race without dislocating the industry jobs, without disrupting the economy, by transforming, Werner von Braun told me, the war industry into a global cooperative space industry that will provide, he said, finally, more jobs and profits on this planet than during any hot or cold wartime, more products and services that can be applied directly to solving the problems of this planet, and we can have a whole planet now that lives on in peace on Earth with all the cultures on Earth and with all the extraterrestrial cultures in space. And these are words that Werner von Braun told me in 1974. And I will testify before the Congress under oath about everything I have said and more. Thank you. 
as we pivot away from the birth of the modern disclosure movement, I always found it fascinating that Nazi scientist Werner von Braun, father of the American Lunar Program, who advocated a human mission to Mars, had inscribed on his tombstone the Bible verse, Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Finally, we've set the stage for the incredible conspiracy theory called Project Bluebeam, presented by French-Canadian journalist Serge Monast as an essay originally published in 1994 and can still be found archived at educateyourself.org. In less than two years after he published this essay, Serge Monast and another journalist, both of whom were researching Project Bluebeam, died of heart attacks within two weeks of each other, although neither had a history of heart disease. Serge was in Canada. The other Canadian journalist was visiting Ireland. Prior to his death, the Canadian government abducted Serge's daughter in an attempt to dissuade him from pursuing his research into Project Bluebeam, although the Canadian government would claim parental negligence due to the fact that his children were denied a proper government-sponsored education and were being homeschooled. His seven-year-old son would also be taken and Serge was temporarily jailed before dying at home the next day from a heart attack at 46 years old. The consistent tone throughout the essay seems to suggest that Serge may have also been a devout Christian, to what domination I could not find. NASA's Project Bluebeam by Serge Monast, 1994 The infamous NASA Bluebeam Project has four different steps in order to implement the New Age religion with the Antichrist at its head. We must remember that the New Age religion is the very foundation for the New World Government, without which religion the dictatorship of the New World Order is completely impossible. I'll repeat that. Without a universal belief in the New Age religion, the success of the New World Order will be impossible that is why the Blue Beam Project is so important to them, but has been so well hidden until now. Engineered Earthquakes and Hoaxed Discoveries The first step in the NASA Blue Beam Project concerns the breakdown of all archaeological knowledge. It deals with the setup with artificially created earthquakes at certain precise locations on the planet of supposedly new discoveries which will finally explain to all people the error of all fundamental religious doctrines. The falsification of this information will be used to make all nations believe that their religious doctrines have been misunderstood for centuries and misinterpreted. Psychological preparations for the first step have already been implemented with the film 2001 A Space Odyssey, the Star Trek series, and Independence Day all of which deal with invasions from space and the coming together of all nations to repel the invaders. The last film's Jurassic Park deals with the theories of evolution and claim God's words are lies. Hoaxed Discoveries What is important to understand in the first step is that the earthquakes will hit at different parts of the world where scientific and archaeological teachings have indicated that arcane mysteries have been buried. By those types of earthquakes, it will be possible for scientists to rediscover those arcane mysteries, which will be used to discredit all fundamental religious doctrines. This is the first preparation for the plan for humanity, because what they want to do is destroy the beliefs of all Christians and Muslims on the planet. To do that, they need some false proof from the far past that will prove to all nations that their religions have all been misinterpreted and misunderstood. The Big Space Show in the Sky The second step in the NASA Bluebeam project involves a gigantic space show with three-dimensional optical holograms and sounds, laser projection of multiple holographic images to different parts of the world, each receiving a different image according to predominating re regional national religious faith. This new God's voice will be speaking in all languages. In order to understand that, we must study various secret services research done in the last 25 years. The Soviets have perfected an advanced computer, even exported them and fed them with the minute physio-psychological particulars 
based on their studies of the anatomy and electromechanical composition of the human body, and the studies of the electrical, chemical, and biological properties of the human brain. These computers were fed, as well, with the languages of all human cultures and their meanings. The dialects of all cultures have been fed into the computers from satellite transmissions. The Soviets began to feed the computers with objective programs like the ones of the New Messiah. It also seems that the Soviets, the New World Order people, have resorted to suicidal methods with the human society by allocating electronic wavelengths for every person in every society and culture to induce suicidal thoughts if the person doesn't comply with the dictates of the New World Order. There are two different aspects of Step 2. The first is the space show. Where does the space show come from? The space show, the holographic images, will be used in a simulation of the ending during which all nations will be shown scenes that will be the fulfillment of that which they desire to verify the prophecies and adversary events. These will be projected from satellites onto the sodium layer about 60 miles above the Earth. We see tests every once in a while, but they are called UFOs and flying saucer sightings. The result of these deliberately staged events will be to show the world the new Christ, the new Messiah, Maitreya. For the immediate implementation of the new world religion, enough truth will be foisted upon an unsuspecting world to hook them into the lie. Even the most learned will be deceived. The project has perfected the ability for some device, referred to as tractor beams by ufologists, to lift up an enormous number of people as in a rapture and whisk the entire group into a never-never land. We see tests of this device in the abduction of humans by those mysterious little alien greys who snatch people out of their beds and through windows into waiting motherships. The calculated resistance to the universal religion and the new messiah and the ensuing holy wars will result in the loss of human life on a scale never imagined before in all of human history. The Bluebeam Project will pretend to be the universal fulfillment of the prophecies of old, as major an event as that which occurred 2,000 years ago. In principle, it will make use of the skies as a movie screen on the sodium layer at about 60 miles as space-based laser-generating satellites project simultaneous images to the four corners of the planet in every language and dialect according to the region. It deals with the religious aspect of the New World Order and its deception and seduction on a massive scale. Computers will coordinate the satellites and software already in place will run the sky show. Holographic images are based on nearly identical signals combining to produce an image or hologram with deep perspective, which is equally applicable to acoustic ELF, VLF, and LF waves and optical phenomena. Specifically, the show will consist of multiple holographic images to different parts of the world, each receiving a different image according to the specific national regional religion. Not a single area will be excluded, with computer animation and sounds appearing to emanate from the very depths of space. Astonished, ardent followers of the various creeds will witness their own returned messiahs in convincing, lifelike reality. Then the projections of Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna, etc. will merge into one, after correct explanations of the mysteries and revelations will have been disclosed. This one God will in fact be the Antichrist, who will explain that the various scriptures have been misunderstood and misinterpreted and that the religions of old are responsible for turning brother against brother, and nation against nation. Therefore, old religions must be abolished to make way for the new age, new world religion, representing the one God Antichrist they see before them. Naturally, this superbly staged falsification will result in dissolved social and religious disorder on a grand scale, each nation blaming the other for the deception setting loose millions of programmed religious fanatics through demonic possession on a scale never witnessed before. In addition, this event will occur at a time of profound worldwide political anarchy and general tumult created by some worldwide catastrophe. The United Nations even now plans to use Beethoven's Song of Joy as the anthem for the introduction for the New Age, 
one world religion. If we put this space show in parallel with the Star Wars program, we get this combination of electromagnetic radiation and hypnosis, which have also been the subject of intensive research. In 1974, for instance, researcher G.F. Shapitz said of one of the research proposals that, in this investigation it will be shown that the spoken words of the hypnotist may also be converted by electromagnetic energy directly into the subconscious part of the human brain without employing any mechanical device for receiving or transporting the message, and without the person exposed to such influence having a chance to control the information input consciously. It may be expected that the rationalized behavior will be considered to have been taken out of their own free will. Artificial Thought and Communication the advancement of techniques propel us toward the third step in the Blue Beam project that goes along with the telepathic and electronically augmented two-way communication where ELF, VLF, and LF waves will reach each person from within his or her own mind, convincing each of them that their own God is speaking to them from the very depths of their own soul. Such rays from satellites are fed from the memories of computers that have stored massive data about every human on Earth and their languages. The rays will then interlace with their natural thinking to form what we call diffuse artificial thought. That kind of technology goes into the 1970s, 1980s, and 1990s research where the human brain has been compared to a computer. Information is fed in, processed, integrated, and then a response is formulated and acted upon. Mind controllers manipulate information the same way a computer for grammar manipulates information. In January 1991, the University of Arizona hosted a conference entitled The NATO Advanced Research Workshop on Current and Emergent Phenomena and Biomolecular Systems. What does that mean exactly? It means this. We refer to one paper that was delivered at the conference which stands out for its different attitude towards the development under discussion at that time. It was in effect a protest and chilling warning to the attending scientists about the potential abuse of their research findings. Their findings stated that the United States had already developed communications equipment which can make the blind see, the deaf hear, and the lame walk. It can relieve the terminally ill from pain without the use of drugs or surgery. I'm not talking about science fiction. A man might retain the use of all his faculties right up to the moment of his death. This communications equipment depends upon a completely new way of looking at the human brain and neuromuscular systems and radiation pulses at ultra-low frequencies. Some of this equipment is now operational within the Central Intelligence Agency and Federal Bureau of Investigation. It will never be used to make the blind see, the deaf hear, and the lame walk because it is central to the domestic political agenda and foreign policy of George Bush and his puppet masters of the New World Order. What is possible to ask before such a psychology of terror is this. Would any government, corporation, or psychiatrist willfully promote such horror today? The answer is quite obviously yes. Government agencies and the corporations that work with them toward a new world order are prepared to promote anything that will help them achieve their objective of total social control. As for the question of why, for one thing, if you terrify the public and make them fear for their safety, they will allow you to implement draconian law enforcement practice, disarm them, and keep extensive records on them. And they only have to tell you that it is all to protect you, of course. Secondly, it promotes the decay of the present democratic forms of political systems and leads societies to search for alternative methods of political ideology. Of course, the alternative has already been planned. It is called the New World Order, and it will not have your safety or interests at heart. As George Bush said, read my lips. Fear has always been used by powerful elite to control and subjugate the masses. The old maxim, divide and conquer, is being played out to the limit worldwide to ensure that everyone is frightened for their personal safety and to be suspicious of everyone else. 
This, too, is mind control. To go further in regard to the new technology which is at the base of the NASA Blue Beam Project, we have to consider this statement by psychologist James V. McConnell, which was published in a 1970s issue of Psychology Today. He said, The day has come when we can combine sensory deprivation with drug hypnosis and astute manipulation of reward and punishment to gain almost absolute control over an individual's behavior. It should then be possible to achieve a very rapid and highly effective type of positive brainwashing that would allow us to make dramatic changes in a person's behavior and personality. The NASA Blue Beam Project is the prime directive for the New World Order's absolute control over the populations of the entire Earth. I would suggest you investigate this information carefully before dismissing it as fanatic lunacy. If we go further in the different reports we've presented, we find that the mind control operations and technology include a transmitter that broadcasts at the same frequency as the human nervous system. Which transmitter is manufactured by the Laurel Electro-Optical System in Pasadena, California? Laurel, a major defense contractor, has previously conducted research on directed energy weapons for Lieutenant General Leonard Perez of the U.S. Air Force, who was searching for a weapon that could implant messages into the minds of the enemy, while urging his own troops on to superhuman deeds of valor. The device employs electromagnetic radiation of gigahertz frequencies, microwaves, pulsed at extremely low frequencies, ELF. It is used to torture people both physically and mentally from a distance. In the December 1980 edition of the U.S. Army Journal, called the Military Review, a column by Lieutenant Colonel John B. Alexander entitled, The New Mental Battlefield, Beam Me Up Spock provides further insight into the technical capabilities at the disposal of the comptroller. He writes, Several examples will demonstrate areas in which progress have been made. The transference of energy from one organism to another. The ability to heal or cause disease to be transmitted over a distance, thus inducing illness or death from no apparent cause. Telepathic behavior modification, which includes the ability to induce hypnotic states up to a distance of a thousand kilometers, have been reported. The use of telepathic hypnosis also holds great potential. This capability could allow agents to be deeply planted with no conscious knowledge of their programming. In movie terms, the Manchurian candidate lives and does not even require a telephone call. Other mind-to-mind -mind induction techniques are being considered. If perfected, this capability could allow the direct transference of thought via telepathy from one mind or group of minds to a select target audience. The unique factor is that the recipient will not be aware that the thought has been implanted from an external source. He or she will believe the thoughts are original. This is exactly what we were talking about. The third step in the NASA Blue Beam project is called the Telepathic Electronic Two-Way Communication. Lieutenant Colonel John Alexander's article continues, If it is possible to feed artificial thought into the multigenic field via satellite, the mind control of the entire planet is now possible. An individual's only resistance would be to constantly question the motivation behind their thoughts and not act upon thoughts which they consider to be outside their own ideological, religious, and moral boundaries. Once again, it is wise to consider how television, advertising, modern education, and various types of social pressure are used to manipulate those boundaries. It has been reported by Lieutenant Colonel Alexander who said in the summary of his military review article, the information on those kinds of technologies presented here would be considered by some to be ridiculous, since it does not conform to their view of reality. But some people still believe the world is flat. The fourth step concerns the universal supernatural manifestation with electronic means. It contains three different orientations. One is to make mankind believe that an alien off-world invasion is about to occur at every major city on Earth in order to provoke each major nation to use its nuclear weapons to strike back. 
This way, the United Nations Court will require that all those nations which launch nuclear weapons to disarm when the invasion is shown to have been false. And how will the United Nations know that the invasion was false? They will have staged it, of course. The second is to make the Christians believe that the rapture is going to occur with the supposed divine intervention of an alien off-world civilization coming to rescue earthlings from a savage and merciless demon. Its goal will be to dispose of all significant opposition to the implementation of the New World Order in one major stroke, actually within hours of the beginning of the Sky Show. The third orientation, in the fourth step, is a mixture of electronic and supernatural forces. The waves used at that time will allow supernatural forces to travel through optical fibers, coaxial cables, electrical and phone lines in order to penetrate to everyone at once through major appliances. Embedded chips will already be in place. The goal of this deals with global satanic ghosts projected all around the world in order to push all populations to the edge of hysteria and madness to drown them into a wave of suicide, murder, and permanent psychological disorders. After the night of the thousand stars, worldwide populations will be ready for the new messiah to re-establish order and peace at any cost, even at the cost of abdication of freedom. Monast ends his essay by explaining that the phasing out of cash into a digital monetary system is absolutely essential in order to force the people to inevitably accept a new version of communism. His final statement reads, The new technology is designed and built to track down and control people everywhere. This technology is being manufactured for a specific purpose, and to refuse to see and recognize that purpose, which is to enslave the entire populations of the world, is to deny the emergence of the Antichrist and the establishment of the New World Order religion and government. If you cannot see, if you cannot learn, if you cannot understand, then you and your family and friends will succumb to the fires of the crematoria that have been built in every state and every major city on earth, built to deal with you. No one is safe in a totalitarian police state. (laughs) 